As we start to venture out into the world and get beyond our pandemic isolation, the people who walk the long Camino de Santiago in Spain find that even if you try, you're never alone for long. The sign of growth, I think, is, is to allow yourself to be disarmed. Coming up, actor Martin Sheen and his son Emilio Estevez tell us why they made a movie about walking the medieval pilgrim route across Spain. It's not just about that. It's a retelling of The Wizard of Oz. Uh, For my own part, I've never done a project that I have been more inspired by or more comfortable with. And conservation ecologist Chris Morgan explains how climate change has pressured people in Europe to reintroduce wildlife in remote habitats. If we don't have a healthy ecosystem in terms of the planet itself, humans are going to suffer. Our days are numbered if we don't if we don't get smart very quickly. Come with us for the hour ahead. It's travel with Rick Steves. Just a few years ago, a wildcat known as the Iberian lynx was in danger of going extinct, but recent conservation efforts have helped its population rebound in southern Spain. In just a bit, Chris Morgan highlights some of the rewilding success stories going on in Europe and why they're good news for all of us. For the last thousand years in northern Spain, countless people have journeyed by foot on a 500-mile pilgrim trail. Their destination? The Cathedral at Santiago de Compostela, where the remains of James the Apostle are said to be buried. Santiago is also the capital of Galicia, where Ramon Antonio Gerardo Estevez's father emigrated to the U.S. from. You know Ramon better as the actor Martin Sheen. Martin's son, actor Emilio Estevez, directed and wrote the screenplay To The Way. In it, Martin plays a California optometrist called Tom who goes to Spain to retrieve the ashes of his estranged son, who died while hiking the Camino de Santiago. Tom reluctantly completes the pilgrimage for his son and meets fellow walkers who each have their own reasons for doing the Camino. The Way was first released in 2011, Now they're re-releasing it in more than a thousand theaters this May 16th. I joined them in a special feature at the end of the movie to reaffirm why we love to travel. Martin and Emilio, join us now in our Travel with Rick Steves studio. It's so good to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Well, Martin, the way, it's it's such a story. You were the bereaved father. Your son died on, on that pilgrimage trail we were talking about. And then, as a heartbroken dad, you flew over to Spain to bring home your son's remains, and you ended up actually doing the 500-mile hike in the movie yourself. And, boy, I'm sure you can choose and pick which film projects you embrace. What was it about the way that captivated you to really be a part of this project? Well, it certainly wasn't the money. (laughs) It was my son, Emilio. Uh Uh, my father is from northern Spain. I'd been hearing about the Camino for uh, all my growing years, and I, you know, it's one of those spiritual bucket lists you want to include, and you figure you'll get around to it, and it came around to me in 2003 when I went over with uh, his son, my grandson Taylor, who was working for me, and I had two weeks, and my sister, who was a retired school teacher in Spain and Madrid, said, well, maybe you, you know, you don't have enough time and she said, why don't you rent a car and drive it and see where that leads you, and then you'll know for future reference. I did, okay. We rented a car. The three of us drove, and we got to Burgos, which is one of the top stops in the uh, uh-huh. on the Camino. We stayed two nights, and it was absolutely enchanting. His son, Taylor, met his future wife, who worked at the uh, albergue. And so that just uh, nourished this whole 
idea of so you, pilgrimage. You got a, a quick look, basically, at the pilgrimage, yeah. and it really captured your imagination. Oh, yeah, it's there. Because it's I did two when we filmed there for our TV show, and everybody I met on that trail had a story to tell. And yeah. it wasn't just, I mean, there's a lot of Christians going there like Catholics have for centuries, yeah. but there's a lot of people of all different faiths or no faiths that were finding meaning a meaningful experience. And I just thought, this is a dimension of life that people don't really appreciate in a lot of cases. No, they don't. And, uh, you know, I came home without his son, and I lost him on the Camino. Because, yeah, so, I mean, if people know the, the movie, uh, right, your character lost the, his son, yeah, and right. ironically or whatever, Emilio literally lost that's right. your son as somebody who lives in your hemisphere. That's right. By falling in love on the Camino. That's right. And to this and, day, he's in Burgos? Well, no, he's back here now. But two okay. things happened upon their return. Yeah. The first was Martin said, well, let's make a movie on the Camino and let's make it. A, it'll be a documentary. I said, well, I don't really know how to make docs. Right. Let's create a narrative. And he says, OK, here's the narrative. It's two old guys and a young guy. And they go out. I said, that's boring. <laughs> I said, I said, let me figure something else out. So that was the first thing that happened. The second thing was my son decided to go to university, quote unquote. It was really because he'd fallen in love with this girl named Julia. Yeah. So, but he used under the guise of wanting to go abroad to study. He said, I'm going to go live in Burgos. And I started to think about the story of, well, in many ways, I lost my son on the Camino. Mm -hmm. And shouldn't our story embrace that as a, just as a starting place? Tell us about, for people who haven't seen the movie, very brief uh, capsule of the, the plot. Sure. So when the movie opens, Tom gets this horrible news that his traveling son has perished in the, in the Pyrenees. Mm -hmm. Doesn't know where that is. Doesn't have any frame of reference. Mm -hmm. But he knows that he has to go and identify and ultimately reclaim the body. And Tom is an eye doctor and he's a good old boy's friend. That's right. He's a very... country club guy. Yep. He's a guy that is is wrapped up in his own life. Kind of disappointed in his, in his son for, for not being a little more conventional. Indeed, and, indeed. And, and as a father, he sort of looked at his son as kind of a hippie. Mm -hmm. uh, his son is a world traveler, has left his studies at Berkeley, uh, was studying to be a cultural anthropologist and said, you know what? I'm not going to learn anything by staying in, in the class. I have to get out in the world. I have to go. And so now this horrible news comes uh, over the phone in, mm -hmm. in France and says, we believe it's your son. You have to come in and pick mm -hmm. him up. And so he does. He travels to France. He discovers what he was doing there and decides in a moment of inspiration or in or madness, decides that he's going to have the body cremated and and he's going to do the journey with his son, really having no idea about what this means. He's not trained for it. He's not prepared in any way, but he's inspired. And so off he goes. And the first night he gets lost. And then along the way, he discovers himself. And then you've got the wonderful, um, very touching finale. That's right. Where you get to the ocean and toss the ashes of your son into the sea. The and, remainder. Because yeah. he's left ashes yeah. all along the, oh, uh, the uh, historic sites. Yeah. But yeah. as he leaves yeah. the ashes, he picks up people. Yeah. So he's yeah. becoming the <laughs> father. So... He's becoming a father to these people that he, in a way that he would never was able to, to be to his own son. And, and they we were was... people that initially you wouldn't want to like. They were annoying people. That's right. <laughs> and it turned out you couldn't do without each other. And at the very end, you've hiked all the way to Santiago. And then you met that guy who said, you got to go two more days of hiking to really yeah, finish it. Yeah. And all of your other people are just mm. so tired of the long hike. It's 30 days since the Pyrenees. And they go... Okay, we got to go with... with yeah, the, we yeah. keep the band together. Keep the band together. Martin Sheen stars in The Way, and his son, Emilio Estevez, directed and wrote the screenplay. 
They're our special guests right now on Travel with Rick Steves, as their story set on the Camino de Santiago gets re-released in theaters on Tuesday, May 16th. You also know Martin from his roles in The West Wing and Grace and Frankie and in more than 100 movies, including Apocalypse Now, Gettysburg, and Judas and the Black Messiah. Emilio is known as a member of the Brat Pack in The Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire and later starred in The Mighty Ducks. He also appears in the role of Tom's son in The Way. There's more information at thewaythemovie.com. Now, Emilio, you went over and then scouted The Way. That's right. And what a what an epic challenge. That's a 500-mile trail, and you're going to have a busload of crew. Tell us about scouting it and deciding where you would stop, because I would imagine there was some serendipity, but I also imagine a lot of it was figured out very carefully in advance. In, in, indeed it was. The first trip was Martin and my son and I with a draft of the script that I had finished based on a couple of visits to see my son in Spain, but never really spending time on the Camino. And then we decided, let's go to Spain and see if the script resembles anything along the the road. And so we rented a car and again began to drive along the Camino. And one of the things that Martin objected to is, well, you know, what's all this partying going on? And does the character of Yost really have to be drinking and smoking yeah. pot? And he said, people don't do that. People are out here for, for pilgrimage and for spiritual reasons. <laughs> There's we, a lot of pilgrimage behind the so joint. So <laughs> while we're on this, while, while we're on the very first scout, we come across three young men who were doing the Camino in February, which right. is not right. recommended. And they have they have very meager uh, possessions. They have very yeah. small backpacks. Pilgrims. And Martin insisted that they take the food that yeah. we had in the car. And they refused. And they said, we have everything we need. And they reached in their backpacks and they all pulled out Jack Daniels, oh. fifths of Jack Daniels. <laughs> and I turned to Martin. I said, you see? Devout pilgrims. <laughs> it's, it's a centuries-long tradition, I would think. And, but, you know, you, you, you're on that trail, and you're surrounded by all these— it's just a random collection of humanity. And then, right. like a dream coming through that, you've got a group of old-school pilgrims that are literally, you know— um, what's it called when they're— The penitentes. Penitentes, yeah. flagellated, and also carrying a cross, and with a rhythm and a chant and a beautiful scene, and it's just like the waters part, and these people come through, and—, and and it was a time warp. Yeah. And it's a reminder, there's so many ways to do that pilgrimage. Hey, when you got to the um, church that I was there, everybody is just over, mm. just jubilation. They, they stand in front of that church, mm. and they, they stand on that scallop shell in the pavement. And then they step into the church, and there's that column where you put five fingers into the mm. front. It's the handprint mm. in the marble, right? And people have been doing that James. for yeah. centuries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You made a pretty big deal about that, Emilio, mm. that those fingerprints in the marble. And to me, it was a way to not only connect people horizontally, like broader perspective, but connect people through the ages. Mm-hmm. You see, when you touch that, yeah. people have yeah. touched that for generations. That's right. Uh, th- what a lot of people didn't know is they have never allowed in all the years of pilgrimage at Santiago any film company filming inside the cathedral, and uh, it wasn't they only a documentary. Allow, yeah, is there documentaries oh, okay. or news footage? But no, yeah. uh, you know, because we got uh, in there yeah. to film that swinging, that swinging. The book of America. America. Yeah. Yeah. So, they wouldn't nice. let us film inside the cathedral until the night before. Yeah, Emilio uh, rewrote the script of how to get around it. There was no. You know that that was their their church. I, I don't want. Yeah, they yeah. don't want their church to be a so film set. My sister Carmen, real who is a retired school teacher in Madrid, my grandson Taylor, who is married to a uh, 
a young lady from uh, Burgos, uh-huh. and myself, a practicing Catholic whose father was from Spain. We all met with the bishop and, you know, made the, the bishop understand that we were not going to no, denigrate. This we were going to celebrate. Yeah. Extremely. I find the yeah. same thing. When, yeah. I'm, when I'm in a, a, a holy place, yeah. if they know that I'm genuine in my respect for that. We filmed at, at the Basilica of St. Francis in Assisi. Yes. Mm, yeah. And, you know, I got there and met the monks at the door an hour before it was open at 7 o'clock in the morning. And the monk looked at me and he says, I've read what you've written. And you're okay. And they let mm, us in. Wow. But yeah. they read it. You know, they yeah. care. You should fly with me. Come on, a father-son trip. It'll be fun. Yeah, right. Hello. Are you the father of Daniel Avery? I was walking the road to Santiago de Compostela, 800 kilometers on the northwestern coast of Spain. This is everything it had when we found it. People have walked the path for over a thousand years. The way is a very personal journey, Mr. Avery. Daniel was my only child. We're going to walk the Camino to Santiago, both of us. Come. This is the way. I'm Yost. There's no mystery why I'm doing this trick. Oh, look at Cheesemakers. Martin Sheen and Emilio Estevez tell us more about the reasons for re-releasing The Way this month and what it's like to be a pilgrim on the Camino de Santiago. That's in just a minute on Travel with Rick Steves. Wildlife ecologist Chris Morgan updates us on recent successes and challenges to reintroducing wild animals to Spain, Portugal, Italy, and Scotland. That's in just a bit. Right now... Our guests on Travel with Rick Steves are the father-son actors Martin Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Their movie, The Way, is getting re-released around the United States in a special one-day showing on Tuesday, May 16th. It's set on the medieval pilgrim route that leads from France across northern Spain, known as the Camino de Santiago. You know, Emilio and Martin, you've worked so hard on this on this movie, and it's a huge investment of time and money, and you've both got so much going on. What motivated you? Is there something you wanted to accomplish other than making money? Well, it, <laughs> Which it, we've already established. It, it, yeah, it's not was, a good idea for that. There was none to be made. Right, yeah. There was none well, to be made here. Well, we, when we returned, we, we tried to set the film up by going through the proper channels in Hollywood and meeting with agents who could connect us with investors and on and on and on. Yeah, That all proved uh, futile. So producer David Alexanian and I got on a plane and we said, we're going to Spain and we're going to find believers and we did. Believers in what? Just believers in the the idea of making the film that, okay. that saw the that saw the same vision that, that we did. saw a reason and to saw, share this with exactly. the public. Because and, it's sad how what a tiny sliver of the public even knows the beauty of a pilgrimage. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, so you're gonna make a movie about walking. That sounds like a real snooze, Emil. Right, and yeah. I said it's not just about that. It's a retelling of The Wizard of Oz. And it's, now you're re-releasing it. The, it's a 12-year-old film. It's right. sort of fallen out of the off the radar for the general public. That's right. You're going to bring it back. It's going to be airing in, what, a thousand theaters around Just the about a thousand theaters, yeah, which is more than it ever got released in when, when uh, 2011. Hey, Martin, I was surprised when you contacted me to be a part of your re-release, and I honestly had no idea you even knew who I was. Uh, (laughs) Tell me why you chose me as your travel partner in this project, because this is so exciting. Oh, Rick, we're so honored to be here with you and to have met you for the first time, but we've been aware of you. 
for as long as you've been on public television, we've been aware of you. And, oh. and in fact, just last week, we caught you in Norway, in Berg, Bergen, Bergen, I believe. Bergen, yeah. And you were playing uh, a medley from... I was playing uh, Edvard Grieg. Edvard yeah. Grieg. I don't know, yes. one great Edvard yes, Grieg song, yes. and I was in the, the place where he was inspired to write it. And, <laughs> and there was a big, shiny, black grand piano. <laughs> and Get out playing. of my way. <laughs> yeah, no, we heard you play oh, piano, yeah. but I, you, you were a concert pianist. You had to have been. You used well, to I was never, I was never yeah. close to that, but I was a great piano teacher. Really? And the first yeah. reason I ever went to Europe was to go with my dad yeah. to see the piano factories. And um, I paid for all my first trips um, teaching piano. But that's a whole other interview. But it, it, just to take this love fest one step further, I am wearing <laughs> my Jeb Bartlett oh. president <laughs> T-shirt. Okay? Okay. So, so you had a huge impact on oh, me, my <laughs> too. Oh. But um, Emilio, we have so much in common. <laughs> my son has fallen in love with a, a woman who speaks Spanish. You and I have the same last name, essentially. Essentially. Esteves. That's right. <laughs> now, and Amelia, and we're both enamored with this notion of pilgrimage travel. In other mm-hmm. words, transformational travel. And it is mm-hmm. so exciting to be part of the re-release of The Way because we've got this little value extra conversation at the end where we're going to just talk about how travel can be transformational. Hey, Emilio, as we come out of this lockdown, and, you know, this year, 2023, is going to break records in numbers of people traveling. It's like It's like they call it revenge travel. People are (laughs) hell-bent on going back to the places they had to cancel because of the pandemic. Does, Does your movie, The Way... Do you feel like it has a new pertinence after we've been locked down? I do. I, I think people are really longing to get out of this isolation. And I, I, think, I, I think the question is, how long have we been in isolation? And you know, we see the, the, the tribalism that's sort of affecting the entire country now and how people are already isolated. And that was before the pandemic. Yeah. Now the isolation was imposed and so how are we reacting coming out of that? And I think that's the, the larger question. Are people going to, people who are going over to really get outside of themselves and get outside of their own isolation, are they going to be open to not othering people? Are they going to be open to real travel and real transformational travel? Oh, the, that's the question. The opportunity is so exciting. I mean, we've got the, the, the kind of lockdown in the bubbles, but we've also got the great sort where in our society we're so divided and everybody seems to be going into their corner. And when you're traveling, that's a beautiful thing about the Camino. I mean, Martin, you pelled around with people that were from <laughs> all different camps. You, you can't. Yeah, you can't get great, away from each other. No, you can't. You know, you're in bunk beds or you're on, you know, in restaurants or on the on the Camino. You're on, You're standing, you're walking, you're swimming. It's like being on a train. On, yeah. Yeah. You're going to see well, them. And you know, I, you're going to see them again. Too. It's true, yeah. yeah. And, it's all, it, and I think whether people realize it consciously, they certainly fulfill it unconsciously, and that is that every time we leave our private space, we are on a journey to unite the will of the Spirit with the work of the flesh. It's so Whether we're so uh, conscious, and that's our purpose, or that becomes the reality. Unite I, the yeah. will of the Spirit with the work of the flesh. That's a beautiful thought. Yeah. You know, there's so many things you can think about when you're on a trail, like the Camino, and then every night, you sit down to a big table. That's what I enjoyed watching mm, the way. Pilgrims. A big dinner. table. Yeah, yeah. And whether you like it or not, you are rubbing <laughs> elbows with people you never chose to sit with. And you might be left-handed, they might be right-handed, and you sat in the wrong spot, and you're still knocking elbows. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you, you, you all eat well. And by the end of that, you're friends. It just reminded me of... Uh, my my youth hostel days, yeah. and uh, mm. and I, I love those scenes mm. in the bunk rooms. And I, it was so interesting to watch you, Martin Sheen, climbing onto a top bunk in the dark with all these people. 
Emilio, you, you were talking to me earlier about how the sound effects were kind of like a, a Foley box, right? It was were, him. Well, it was you me. Were snoring. It was me <laughs> off camera. Off camera. The, uh, the, snoring the, the, the and the snorting and, the, uh, and the, all of this. I, had a, <laughs> I, I, I asked the sound guys to put, a, um, to put a, a, a bunch of batteries in a sock. And I kept putting my hand as I can rustle around the batteries and snoring and <laughs> pre- pretending to fart. And it was, I was laughing so hard. And then so was he. Oh, yeah. And he I kept blowing the he kept blowing the takes. Martin in the top so bunk. I pulled my head. I pulled <laughs> thing over. And then my he finally face. he screamed. He says, "You've got to stop. You've got to stop." <laughs> but you got perfect strangers twelve hours earlier that are in the yeah. bottom bunk making you a yeah. trampoline just to yeah, get you because sure. you're all buddies. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's so yeah. fun. <laughs> and I just thought, yeah, that's mm-hmm. reality. Mm-hmm. Just there's so much reality in the mm-hmm. way you did that film, which I really enjoyed. It, it was Thank kind you. of fun. The um, the pride in guidebooks. Different people had different guidebooks. <laughs> well, sure, sure. You have the you have the Tom, who is the who's playing every bit the ugly American. Yeah, right. And 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 certainly very arrogant in the in the knowing that he's got the guidebook that's actually going to lead the way. But then you have the Dutchman Yost, who's wonderfully played by Yorick. Yeah, and he uh, he has the Dutch guidebook, and Martin's character Tom is certainly going to give him a lecture on which guidebook is the proper one. But of course he gets hoisted on his own petard later on in Pamplona. Which is I was so just funny. you know what we did? I paused the movie. I wanted to make sure that wasn't my guidebook because <laughs> Because there is a fundamental We never would have done that to That's you. So I promise no. we never would have done that. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm speaking with Martin Sheen and his son Emilio Estevez and we're celebrating the re release of The Way. Their their wonderful movie that came out back in 2011, uh, which takes you on this venerable pilgrimage trail, and it challenges us to get out there in our travels and broaden our perspective through that experience. You can learn more about the re-release of The Way by going to thewaythemovie.com. You know, Emilio, when you go on the Camino, everybody has a little shell dangling from their backpack. It's the scallop shell. And it's a lot of each of those, you know, lines on the scallop shell goes to a particular point. Mm-hmm. And I think it symbolizes the many different paths that lead to Santiago. That's right. Even if somebody's packing very light, they carry that shell. Yeah. yeah. Did you have any further meaning to that shell in Martin or Emilio as you were doing the, the work? Well, as, that, as we understood it, sometime during the Middle Ages, it was a, it worked as a saucer for, to get water from oh, yeah. Uh, a well or a stream. Mm-hmm. And so it became very practical that you would have like a utensil. Yeah. and uh, But then it, its meaning goes further back though with the... Of course, uh, before there was any of the inns or the albergues or the Casa Rurales that you have now, it was the identifier. It was they oh, knew you were yeah. you were you were, yes, you were exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and that you were welcomed in. You yeah. were not expected to pay for your meal. You were not expected to pay for your lodging. That you were uh, yeah. clearly a, a, a mm-hmm. on a pilgrimage, and therefore you, by the very nature of pilgrimage, you were invited to that home for a nights of rest and and food. And even mean, in the secular world, there is this sacred responsibility to the traveler going back to Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Yeah, you know, uh, looking for a oh, place oh, to, house to abide. Yeah, to house it's you never know. You know who's coming. There could be... Though at what you yeah. did the least to them, Jesus said, said you did to me. You've done it to me, yeah. 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 And then Muhammad said, um, every traveler, every visitor is a gift from God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I hear that a lot in Islam, mm-hmm. that the traveler is really welcomed. Indeed. Mm-hmm. And when I think about that, that scallop show with all those lines leading to that same point, 
it reminds me there's a lot of different ways to have that journey, but you got to take it. you got to embrace it. Yeah. Martin, it was a fascinating story to see how your character evolved over the course of this month-long trek. Uh, and you were like the eye doctor who, who didn't get it, you know, and, but it was your eyes that needed opening, wasn't it? Yes. Tell us about the evolution that you had and then the significance of that last clip in Morocco, of all places. <laughs> yes. Well, he became a, a, a world traveler and eventually became a Doctors Without Borders participant. Suddenly, it's just like a 10-second clip. You're in, in the middle of a, of a marketplace in Morocco, immersed in the glory of the world, mm. celebrating it in all of its beautiful yeah. diversity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just thought, where did that old country club eye doctor go? He is now, yeah. he's a... He's a hippie with a bank account. Yeah, there's a, a phrase that a friend of mine used when he was asked about what changed his life, and he said, I went into the third world, and they cracked open my heart. Mm, and so that's many people what are happens afraid to of them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you, when people say have a safe trip, I yeah. think it might be don't let them crack yeah. open your heart because it's no. going to mess up your ethnocentrism. <laughs> Nothing is ever going to be the same. <laughs> never... I love the phrase you said once in your one of your presentations. You just said, I'm in a place... I've never been, and no one knows I'm here. Mm. That's that's the that's program. a rare yeah. opportunity, and yeah. some people work very hard not to have that experience. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and, and sometimes we need to be dragged into those spots yeah. or accidentally uh, fall into them, uh, and then that, then we have an opportunity to become our our authentic self, yeah, who don't. we really are, and understanding what we really are. You know, our beautiful, mm-hmm. uh, blessed brokenness. Oh, and one powerful line in the movie, you don't choose a life, you live one, right? Yeah. And, and time and time again, I heard that cheery, bon camino. Mm. Buen camino. Yes. Bon camino. Yeah. And that's, yeah. a camino is a journey, a way. And it's just a reminder. Of course, it's like saying buongiorno. Yeah. Uh, but it was also, have a good journey. Yeah. Have a real journey. journey. Yeah, yeah. And it means so many different things, doesn't it? It yeah. means so many different things. And in my lifetime of travel, I've been really astounded at how some people are so privileged and so blessed and they lack the gumption or the curiosity to get out of their comfort zone. And other people don't have all that privilege, but they've got that spirit of adventure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they have a rich life just because it's got more colors in it, because they're not so afraid and they take that Camino. Very much so, yeah. The sign of growth, I think, is to allow yourself to be disarmed. Yes. You know, and yes. not be so protective, but yeah. disarm yourself, you know. And it, it, it's kind of like embrace culture shock. Think of it as the as a constructive thing, the growing pains of a broadening perspective, yeah. I like to think. Yeah. Well, we were we were shooting that one night, and, and we were losing the light, and Rick, I'd, you know, pulling out your hair, the sun's going down, the camera's <laughs> in, and, and it's the end of a long day anyway. And the actors are saying, well, what's... What's my motivation? What's my and I said, and I just I couldn't think of anything to say. And I said, give thanks and praise. Yes, but you know what? You know what? You added to it. What? Of course, she said, give thanks and praise. Of course, and he walked away, <laughs> and we got it. <laughs> Martin Sheen and Emilio Estevez are sharing what it was like to make their movie The Way about a father's discoveries along the Camino de Santiago pilgrim route in Spain. We have links to their work at ricksteves.com/radio. Emilio, for all the work you've put into this, is there a certain takeaway? What do you hope to accomplish? Well, I, in my heart, I believe that this is the, the, this is the movie that we need at the time when I believe we need it the most. 
Uh, I think coming out of pandemic, I think, again, this this desire to break free of the isolation that was imposed, but also the isolation that we've sort of self-imposed and to get outside of ourselves. And so few films, I think, these days transport you in a way that is not artificial. Uh, This film takes you to Spain in a very organic way and drops you into the middle of this experience. Mm -hmm. And and what I found in in many of the screenings, and, you know, we've done quite a few, um, following the film screening, it was like people... Uh, that we had that we had blown fresh air, fresh oxygen into the theater afterwards. People were invigorated and inspired. Martin, mm-hmm. any last thoughts on on this discussion and the potential of this uh, re-release of this movie? Well, since the film was released, the responses were overwhelming, and we got information from the uh, Spanish Tourist Board that the number of people on the Camino. Mm-hmm who were inspired by the film specifically, mm-hmm. had increased like a, a third or something yeah. just because of the film. And we were hearing from an awful lot of those people. And people have done the Camino with family. Yeah. They've done it when they've lost a family member. They've done it in remembrance. Mm-hmm. They've done it for penance and absolution for their own lives. Mm-hmm. They've been revitalized. They've become their their true selves in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. And that has the, been the most rewarding part of it. Uh, From my own part, I've never done a project that I have been more inspired by or more comfortable with. Uh, You only get one of these if you're lucky in a lifetime, and maybe we'll get another one before Mm -hmm. we're finished working. But that it has been the most satisfying project of my life. Boy, that is saying something. Yes, very much. And it keeps on giving. We keep running into people here and there. People tell us the effect that it's had on them. And what they've done as a result. And that that is the most gratifying thing. You guys have raised awareness of what is the meaning and the potential of a pilgrimage. And a lot of people put it in one sort of religious pigeonhole, or there's a bunch of Christians walking to Rome or something like that. Mm. But people of all different faiths have pilgrimages. People that mm-hmm. don't have faith have pilgrimages. Muhammad, uh, you know, part of their thing is you you got to go to Mecca once in your life for yeah. the Hajj. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also said if you can't afford or you're unable to go to Mecca, travel someplace. Mm. The bottom line is travel someplace. Mm-hmm. So, Martin Sheen, if you could take one idea that you've got somebody inspired by the potential, but they can't travel, how can you have the Camino experience in your everyday life? Because I would imagine you don't have to have a passport to have the value of this trip. How can you now, do it here? If you have uh, compassion for yourself... It will extend itself into someone else. Sometimes our pilgrimage is just across the street to witness a need or to express a, a, a measure of compassion for someone else. You know, that's what opens us up. Yeah. That, that's what cracks our hearts open. Mm. And uh, a pilgrimage can be a few yards, a, a mm-hmm. few meters. It's the thought process where the heart leads us. And it's that instinct that so often we ignore because of fear or can't be bothered, not the time. But there are those moments where we cross the street and we're never able to go home the same. Martin Sheen, Emilio Estevez, Bon Camino. And keep on traveling. Grazie. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Martin Sheen will be back with us again on Travel with Rick Steves in a couple of weeks to tell us how his travels in Nicaragua, El Salvador, India, and Paris have influenced how he views the world and his place in it. 
Up next, we'll look at rewilding efforts in Europe, where you'll find bears in the mountains 50 miles from Rome. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Do you have anything that you'd like to wrap up with, Martin? Any, any last thought? Keep on traveling. I've been waiting to say that, thing. Rick. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's, I, I stole that's, your that's thunder. Kaisho. <laughs> <laughs> Nioski nice eta Donostian bizi nice. Euskalerritik nator mundura rik estifzekin. Hi, I'm Austin from San Sebastian, coming from the Basque country to the world with Rick Steves. Kaixo, nioski nice eta Donostian bizi nice. Euskalerritik nator mundura rik estifzekin. Bears in Italy, wolves in Germany, Iberian lynx in Spain. Wildlife might not come to mind when we think about Europe, but with the help of some dedicated biologists and conservationists, wild animals are making a comeback. Ecologist Chris Morgan has been following efforts to restore wilderness across Europe. The familiar host of the series Nature on PBS has recently visited places like the Coa River Valley in Portugal and Andalusia in Spain and reports on success stories in restoring wilderness for his podcast, The Wild with Chris Morgan. Chris joins us now on Travel with Rick Steves to talk about what he's found and why rewilding efforts in Europe and around the globe are so important. Chris, thanks for joining us. Great to be here, Rick. Thanks for having me. So rewilding, it's a cool word. I, I got to say, I don't even know what it is, really. Explain to us, what is rewilding? It's almost like the modern way of saying conservation. It really is sort of trying to bring back something of the past when it comes to nature and ecosystems and habitats around the world or at least maintaining them in the way they are now with a view to bringing back perhaps some of the big critters and wild animals that used to be there in the future once things are ready for it. So it, it is sort of implying that today it's not like it was before, and we can go to how it was before, rewilding. Is it just a matter of letting nature take over? Will nature do its thing? I mean, for example, I, I was very um, inspired by Edinburgh's filming of Chernobyl, where if we just leave it for a couple of decades, nature takes over. Yeah, Chernobyl, that example is an extreme example, but you don't have to go that extreme in order for nature to take a leg hold back. Literally, you just give her the space and time and don't destroy elements of nature, and, and, and they do come back. And, and there's proof all over Europe. It's, it's, it's interesting. You say that we don't think of the wild when it comes to Europe. And I'm European originally from England, but I've been over in the States here in, uh, for 23 years now. Uh -huh. So I have a very American view of what Europe is. And now I go back and I'm blown away at how wild the place has become and the success really? of the projects there. See, now that's news to me because I was just over there in Switzerland. I mean, miles from any, quote, civilization. And all I saw was a marmot. <laughs> I mean, that's it. I was hiking for a week, and Nothing I saw one marmot. marmot. Yeah, no, no offense, marmot. But you're talking about wolves in Germany and, and brown bears in, in, in northern Spain. Yeah. Tell, tell us what's going on in here from a wild point of view. It's hard to know where to start because just about every country in Europe has a really cool project going on that is bringing back, and I'm not talking about necessarily just the flowers, plants, and trees, but some of the big creatures that folklore has made us fearful of, mm -hmm. especially in Europe. Oh, yeah. Little Red Riding Hood stories emerged in Europe. Every child in, across Europe hears those stories and is fearful of these big carnivores. Now they're coming back. A few years ago, I, was in, uh, I went to Germany to monitor where these wolves were coming back, and they crept across, you can almost picture it in the dead of night, they crept across the Polish border into eastern Germany, just a handful of wolves. They'd been extinct in Germany for over 100 years, nearly 120 years. 
Now they're taking a hold, and in the last 20 years, the wolf numbers have increased to a 1,000. There's a 1,000 wild wolves in Germany. But it's a very different landscape to the, to the wolf habitat and ecosystems we would see in Yellowstone or in North America, which are generally much wilder. Over there, the, the big carnivores can mix in with local communities a bit more. Because there's more wild space in, in Canada or, or the United States National Parks, and in Europe it's, it's um, more dominated by human settlements. Exactly, yes, yes. So that is, you almost have to do a, a PR campaign for people not to have a backlash and say we're being invaded by bears or, or wolves. Right. Isn't that a tough sales pitch to say wolves are okay, bears are okay? I mean, I would think most people would say no. In some ways it is tough. There's so many sides to the story depending upon where you come from, how you were raised, what your livelihood is. But people who work close to the land often feel a threat from large carnivores. I met a shepherd over there, for example, in Germany who, uh, who had had sheep killed by wolves so very directly impacting his livelihood. And I felt for the guy. I spent the whole day with him and learning from him. But in true German style, he didn't look at this as a problem that couldn't be solved. He, he took it upon himself to figure out what the solutions were, and he got uh, livestock guarding dogs. And the guarding dogs will literally protect the sheep against the wolves. So there's all these little t- electric fences and other things that you can deploy. So we can coexist. Totally, yes, yeah. And then why is... Why does it matter? I mean, who cares if there's bears or not? I mean, I'm sort of being uh, a little bit of a devil's advocate, but we've managed fine without bears. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think for me and uh, and other people who study these big carnivores, they become these flagship species, you know, these creatures that you can point to and say, if we protect them, we protect whole ecosystems. Oh. So if you so take Italy, for example, it's a place I've spent a lot of time. I fell in love with this place in central Italy called Abruzzo, the National Park of Abruzzo, Lazio, and Molise. And, and there, there are 50 or 60 brown bears left, same as our grizzlies, mm. but in the heart of Italy, just two hours' drive from Rome. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. But they've coexisted there for 6,000 years with human beings. It's possible there. They need extra space. They need connectivity to other national parks in the area. And, but they're doing okay. They're, 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 they're eking out an existence two hours from a city the size of Rome, which is hard to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah. And are you saying that if the bears are doing okay, it's more than just the bears are doing okay. It's a, that's the tip of an ecological iceberg where you can say the environment's doing okay. It's exactly that. A bit, bit of a litmus test for the health of an ecosystem. Because it's but, a holistic thing. It's a, it's a complex web where you need vegetation and the animals to make it all healthy. Exactly. And without that intact huh. ecosystem, the bears can't survive. And so you can use these bears. I did this back-of-the-envelope calculation a few years ago. There are eight bear species in the world. We have three of them in North America, for example. If you were to protect the land of all eight bear species, you would protect a third of the Earth's land surface. So you can see what an amazingly powerful tool that is. These animals are charismatic and they're cute and they're, you know, inspirational. But you protect them and you also protect the planet and everything we need as well. So to me, it's all about not the bad news, but the inspiring side of it, right? Because to me, climate change and biodiversity loss is the most exciting opportunity on Earth. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Chris Morgan. And we're getting a a glimpse into the process of rewilding in Europe. Chris has dedicated himself to nature conservation through his various roles as an ecologist, wilderness guide, a filmmaker. He's the host of PBS Nature. He's also the host of The Wild with Chris Morgan. That's a podcast about wildlife, conservation, and the wonders of our wild planet. You can find out more about the projects that Chris is working on at his website, 
It's chrismorganwildlife.org. So, Chris, I know about climate change, everybody seems to, but biodiversity, you're, you're talking like that's even, it's the foundation of a healthy environment where we can be sustainable. Exactly. Tell me the importance of biodiversity and how that powers this whole rewilding movement. Well, you know, we know of about 1.2 million species on Earth. We think there are about 9 million species. Uh, we've not discovered most of them yet. But that total sum of variety on Earth in terms of living creatures, that's biodiversity. That's that interconnected web and giant ecosystem that we are a part of as well. We fancy ourselves as kind of a bit more advanced and civilized. Oh, we've moved beyond nature. But trust me, we haven't, you know. We are definitely an intrinsic part of it. We're kind of primal beings at the end of the day. And so I love to try and reconnect people with that primal sort of being side of them, you know, and realize this stuff. So, you know, if, you, if you're out, if you're looking at a putting green and you see a perfect, homogenous, <laughs> mono species piece of grass, you probably think different than a, a golfer who might think, isn't that perfect? <laughs> you might think, we need yeah. some weeds, we need some dandelions, we yes. need some variety. Even just this year, I have a lawn and I just let it go. You let know, I'm like, go. I'm not going to mow this anymore, especially <laughs> in May and springtime. I it got was my full excuse of now. Yeah. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yes. you. I'm going to have a festival of diversity in my backyard. Can you imagine the insects in a town if none oh. of the lawns were mowed, you know? And we need those insects. Bees are under threat. Pollinators are under threat. So let's just review some of the ex- successes that rewilding has had just in Europe, because Europe's always my focus. Tell me just three or four examples where there's actually good news on the horizon when it comes to biodiversity and what do we call them? Macrofauna? Megafauna. Megafauna. Yeah. Megafauna. Where are the megafauna doing good around Europe? You know, I was in uh, northern Spain, the Cordillera Cantabrica, and I was there uh, as a 20-year-old, so, so over 30 years ago, and there were 60 brown bears left in those mountains. They run east-west along the, the top of the country, as, as you know. And, and it's not the Spain of beaches and parasols and gin and tonics. It's the Spain of big beach forests and, and mountains and big wild animals. And there were only 60 bears there 30 years ago. I went back in the fall. It's another story of running into this lady who who adopted me while I was there when I was 20. She's still around, and these mountains have rewilded over that 30-year period since I last saw her and I was last there. Now there are close to 400 bears, from 60, 30 years ago to 400 brown bears in northern Spain. It's, it's unimaginable, but legislation, protection for them, and changing hearts and minds and attitudes are the three things that have really turned things around. Raising Similar. awareness. Raising yeah. awareness is, must be critical for this. Big time. And we get to a critical uh, number, and suddenly that community is more stable, Mm -hmm. and it's a healthier environment. Yes. Can I tell you about Portugal? It's it's a really great project unfolding there, a a young group of conservationists. This is the Coa River, right? C-O-A. You were were there, and it's a happening example of rewilding in Portugal. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was there in the fall. And um, it's an interesting place because they went through this thing, the whole of of rural Portugal went through it, and it was called uh, something I didn't know about until I got there, rural abandonment. Right. Where people who lived and, and for generations in these little villages as farmers and local workers... They left to go and make a better living in cities, sometimes in Portugal, sometimes in other countries. Mm -hmm. And so it left the the countryside to grow. All the sheep had gone, all the grazing animals left. So you'd think, oh, that's great, nature comes back. Mm -hmm. So it did. It bounced back, but the shrub layer came back, which started fires. So they've been having these colossal fires in Portugal now, which have been a problem. So they're trying to figure out how to stop these fires and it's a bit of an arrested development, the ecosystem. They can't get beyond this brush 
into the full-grown trees that used to be there thousands of years ago with all the wolves, bears, and everything else. So they've brought in an ancient breed of horse now called Soraya horses to graze the brush down to stop the fires so that the ecosystem can grow the trees back and it can be a fully flourishing thing a hundred years from now with all the big wild animals that belong there as well. It's really inspiring stuff there. You know, I love the phrase, the best way to control nature is to obey her. Mm. But what we're talking about with rewilding is a little more sophisticated than that because it does involve human coaching or human help to maybe just overcome problems that humans have created. But things can get on track probably much better with that human activism. They absolutely can. And there's great examples of that where a little bit of human help injected at the right point and then leave nature to the rest of it. Okay, so that critical little um, course correction. Yeah, then turn the power of nature loose. Yes, exactly. And it's just space and time. Nature just needs space and time. And there's there's a great example of a rewilding project in uh, in Andalusia in south of Spain. Uh-huh. And and there they have this cat, their big cat. It's not like our big cat, the mountain lion, but it's it's still a pretty big, good-sized cat called the Iberian lynx. Okay. And the Iberian lynx was hunted to close to extinction. And over the last few years, it's grown in numbers by a thousand percent over this last 20 or 30 years, just from that little injection of human help, protecting the habitat, educating people who don't want the cats around, and having them become a, a bit of a, a tourist industry based around these cats now. You see lots of Spanish people going to Andalusia now to go and find these cats and photograph them and hike near them. And even if they don't see them, knowing that they're there is, is something uh, really special for, for, for local Spanish people. And as that's happened, the ecosystem has been affected to the point where in certain places, I went to a hunting estate. You wouldn't even think that hunters would support cats because these cats generally eat the things that the hunters are there to hunt. But in this case, they've helped these cats back. It's a really Mm. impressive place. So I met a couple of the hunters and they said, actually, it's been great for us. They're partridge hunters. So they said the cats came back, the, the Iberian lynx came back. What happened was the fox numbers dropped the fox numbers had been hammering the partridges. So on this estate, there used to be 40 foxes, and now there are three because the cats have outcompeted ah. them. And now the place is just thriving with rabbits and partridges and everything else that these hunters want. So just bringing that cat back was the trigger to a healthier ecosystem. Chris Morgan is helping us understand how Europeans are rewilding their backcountry right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Chris has produced a documentary about the people in central Italy who are working to preserve the habitat of one of the world's most endangered species, the marzacan brown bear. It's called Path of the Bear, and it won Best Short Film at the 2023 Italy International Film Festival. Chris also hosts a podcast called The Wild. You can find out more about Chris's work at chrismorganwildlife.org. Chris, when we think about rewilding and, and the work you're so passionate about, I think of the open expanses of the highlands in Scotland, for example. Mm. And you drive through there and and there's clearly more sheep than people. (laughs) And it just seems like the rolling hills go on forever. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? You've got a friend that's that's busy rewilding in Scotland. Yes. What does he see as 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 needed and what's he doing? Well, if you look at those hills, and, and they are beautiful, aren't they? They're stunning. You can picture the highlands. and uh, uh, But really, that's not the way they should be. Uh, hundreds and thousands of years ago, uh, they were covered in forests. 
They were called the Caledonian Forests, and they were famed by Romans and others that used them for shipbuilding and times in history and the Industrial Revolution destroyed all these big forests in, in Scotland. So it looks very different to the wild Scotland it should look like. So, and it really was the work of the Industrial Revolution because yes. they needed the timber. Yes. And they had it there in, in spades. Exactly. And today we, we run across the hills and we celebrate the highlands, but really environmentalists would go up there and see tragedy. Yes, yeah, kind of a desolate place that doesn't have the big creatures and the forest that it Therefore, used to have. Therefore, it's needing that diversity, that biodiversity. Right, exactly. So my friend up there owns an estate. His name is Paul Lister, and he owns an estate called Allerdale. And people can go and visit it. It's a beautiful, stately home and 23,000 acres of the of the northern Scottish highlands. It's, it's talking about magical. And he's uh, he's rewilding it, starting with the forest. The problem is there's so many deer there, the forests don't get to take hold. There's no natural predators for deer, and they graze the saplings of the trees, so the forest doesn't get to come back. So it's a case of trying to bring down the numbers of deer, either fencing them out or sometimes culling them, and then replanting. And he's planted a million trees on this 23,000 acres, not on his own, but with, <laughs> with a lot of help. And he's bringing that forest back. And someday, you know, there's dreams of perhaps even having wolves howling in the Scottish Highlands once again. You know, Chris, your enthusiasm and your passion is is just um, making me feel very positive and confident. But I'm skeptical because of the power of capitalism and people wanting to monetize everything and corporate values that have to have short-term profits. Capitalism is here to stay. There's no doubt about it. But it seems to me we need to invest in things that are not short-term profitable, but long-term sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that requires political will. Yes, absolutely. And maybe it starts with the, with the public voting for the right people, right? Uh-huh. Because that's what forges change. And there's often people who are who don't like the, the, the idea of change. And ecology and conservation is all about change. It's what nature does best is change and evolve, right? And I think that as a society, we need to sort of get our heads around that and grasp a hold of rewilding because it provides for every human on earth. It's what we need. If we don't have a healthy ecosystem in terms of the planet itself, humans are going to suffer. Our days are numbered if we, don't, if we don't get smart very quickly. But then it is a case of making sure that everyone has access to the information that they need about ecology, about the planet, about wildlife, about politics, you know, so they can make those smart decisions. And this is a travel show, and we can gain that exposure and those ideas through traveling on purpose to find out what's going on in Andalusia with the Lynx. Chris Morgan... Thank you so much for your work and your passion and your website. I mean, your website, I want to say it again. It's chrismorganwildlife.org. You go there and people can learn why so many people are so evangelical about making a difference with rewilding. Best wishes, Chris. Thank you so much, Rick. It's been really fun talking to you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton, Kazmara Hall, and Donna Bardsley. We get promotion support from Sheila Gerzoff, website support from Andrew Wakeling, and our theme music is by Jerry Frank. Special thanks to Tyler Bates for music from the soundtrack to The Way. Chris Morgan tells us about reconnecting with his adopted grandma in northern Spain. It's an extra to today's show at ricksteves.com radio. See you next week with more Travel with Rick Steves. I've found that if you equip yourself with good information and expect yourself to travel smart, you can. And that's why the Rick Steves guidebooks are consistently the best-selling series of guides to Europe. 
pick up the latest edition at your favorite bookseller or at ricksteves.com.